0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. What I'd like to do this morning is really look at what was going on in Isaiah's day. that brought about these prophecies and brought about these words, because I think they'll make more sense, as flowery and poetic as they are, and as much as they're part of our Christmas tradition, it would be good to know why they were spoken, and to understand the context and setting of what was going on uh, in Jerusalem, uh, 700 years earlier, over 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, these words were given. Uh, and, and why were they given, and specifically, who were they given to? So let's look at that. Um, the setting is this. Uh, it's, it's about 740 B.C., and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah at the time, was Ahaz. Right? Uh, this was long after the Israel had been, had been divided into two kingdoms. So you got Judah in the south, And Israel is the northern kingdom in the north. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. The capital of Israel in the north is Samaria. A few Bible scholars out there, right? I knew that one. Um, The king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah in Jerusalem is Ahaz. The king of the northern kingdom in Samaria is a guy named Pekah. Um, uh, And at this time, both kingdoms had had greatly declined from the days of David. In the days of David and Solomon, it was a unified kingdom with a very strong, powerful army. And David had been able to secure Israel as a land of peace. But because of sin and because they did not follow God and they were not faithful, God brought many, many enemies uh, who slowly by little dwindled away the army and the strength and the power of these two countries. And because they were divided, because they were not following God, uh, things got worse and worse, and so in the days of Ahaz, uh, Judah was a very small, insignificant, powerless country, and Israel was not much better. Um, to, to add to the mix, uh, so you got in this story, as we'll see in a moment, you got you got Israel in the north, you got Judah in the south, and then just north of, of Israel's kingdom was another kingdom called Syria, much like the Syria of today, basically the same general vicinity north of Israel. Um, uh, Syria, uh, Judah, and Israel were all three small nations. And they were fighting against each other. And the reason they were fighting against each other is because they were being crushed by an even greater enemy called Assyria. Now, you've got to keep those straight. This is so confusing. Syria and Assyria. Which is which? Well, Syria is small. Assyria is big. So let me help you picture this, okay? Because all these names, Jerusalem, Israel... Samaria, Assyria, Syria—it's confusing. So let me let me put it in a context we can all we can all relate to. Okay, we'll pretend that it's 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 in Thailand. Okay, we're going to put this story in Thailand. All right, Jerusalem is Chiang Mai. We get to be Jerusalem, yay! David's going to be King Ahaz. He's going to be our fearless ruler in Chiang Mai. Uh, Samaria is Chiang Rai. They're about that's about how far apart they were. Actually, not even that far. But uh, Samaria is Chiang Rai, right? And, and we don't like each other. We in Chiang Mai do not like the people in Chiang Rai because they keep trying to take us over, right? Well, uh, so Chiang Rai has sought an ally with Burma, right? A lot bigger, a lot bigger country, bigger army. So Chiang Rai joined forces with Burma and they've marched down to attack Chiang Mai, right? That's the picture. But there's one more player in the puzzle, Assyria. Who is Assyria? No, think bigger. China. There you go. China. Farther to the north and the east and vastly bigger. Right. So we're down here having our squabble. China is is putting together an army that's about to wipe us all out. <coughs> so the, the setting going on here is this. Uh, Ching Rai and Burma got together. They marched down to Qing Mai to go to war against us. Why did they do that? Well, because they want to force us into an alliance with them so that the three of us together can take on China. Sound like a good idea? No. Sounds like a really bad idea, right? But that's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. Well, Ahaz, for whatever reason, we don't know, it doesn't say exactly why, but probably Ahaz was wise enough to know this is just a dumb plan, right? Like the three of us get together, China's still going to destroy us. So he was not willing to join in their alliance. So they come down to, to Chingmai, to Jerusalem, to battle against him, to either force him to ally with them, to partner with them, or to remove him from the throne and put a different king who would be more cooperative. And they actually have somebody picked out, Scripture tells us, uh, ready to put on the throne if, if Ahaz will not cooperate. <coughs> so that's what's going on here, right? Uh, that's the picture. Um, uh, so if we could read uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, okay, Ahaz, Rezin the king of Syria, slash Chingrai, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Burma, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Chingrai, uh, came to wage war against Jerusalem. But they could not mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, that is, Chingri is partnered up with Burma. <laughs> okay. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook like trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so uh, Jerusalem was a was a very well built fortress. And they had got down in Judah all the way to Jerusalem. They were kind of stuck there because Jerusalem was in many ways very impenetrable, not completely, but it was a tough Tough fortress to to breach, to get through. So uh, the armies of of these two kingdoms are are just right outside of Jerusalem. And the people see this vast army, and they know they are vastly outnumbered, and they don't have a chance against this army. Uh, There's no way they could begin to fight against even these two smaller countries. And so it says that Ahaz and his people are shaking like a leaf. They are terrified at what is going on. And you know, uh, people. a lot of people think it would be great to be a king. You may want to be a king. Well, you know, it depends on what you're king of, right? If you're king of Jerusalem in this day, you don't want to be king. Because right? what is the job of a king? What is his What is his job? It's not just to wear cool robes and crowns and, and like boss everybody around. That's not really his job. His job is to protect his kingdom. It is a responsibility to bring peace to its borders. And sometimes bringing peace meant fighting, fighting wars to protect those who would attack you. So we see that with David and Solomon going out fighting those would-be enemies to keep them at a distance. Right? But what a king never wants to do is fight wars to defend your capital city. Right? That's not fun. Right? And, and it's, it's, it's failure as a king. When you're leading and your job is to take care of people and you have failed and you have not brought peace, you have not brought protection to your land. Instead, the enemies are breathing down your throat about to wipe you out. Nobody wants to be king. And that's exactly what was going on. And Ahaz was uh, in a bit of panic mode. Uh, So in in the context of all this, you get the picture here? In the context of all this, God speaks to Isaiah and gives him a message, a prophecy to deliver to Ahaz. So let me read again. We, we read it, but let me, uh, <coughs> well, we didn't read this far, but let, let me read the first prophecy. And, and Isaiah gives basically two messages, right? So let's look at the first one. Um, it says, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Sheer Jeshub at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washers field. Okay. So Ahaz is not in Jerusalem. He's, he's just outside the city and he's, Probably trying to secure a water source because he's preparing, he's bracing himself for a long siege against the city. So he's trying to protect and at least ensure that the city will have water. So that's where God tells Isaiah he can go find Ahaz. This is what he's to say to him say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remaliah, right? um, God gives Isaiah four words for, for Ahaz. So let me go through them real briefly. First it says be careful. Be careful. Uh, Ahaz is at a critical moment of decision. There are a lot of things, a lot of options, a lot of possibilities before Ahaz. One of them is that he could join forces with with, uh, these two kingdoms, with uh, Israel and Syria. And the three of them could band together and attempt to fight against Assyria. That would be one option. Another option would be for Ahaz to uh, send an email to the king of Assyria and say, you know, your enemies are now my enemies. I want to be your friend. Can we be friends and play together? And he could form an alliance with Assyria. The problem is, uh, Judah and Israel were kind of equals, right? Ching-Rai and Ching-Mai, right? Kind of on the same level. Uh, Assyria was, was not a partnership, right? If he was to join forces with Assyria, it would mean handing over his kingdom. Right? He would become a vassal state. He would give up his kingdom, and he would become a vassal subject to Assyria, which would mean paying taxes and bowing, ultimately, to the king of Assyria. So these are the options before him, where the third option would be to do nothing and trust God, right? Trust God. Which would you do? Right? Which would you do? I'm telling you, any of these seem totally impossible, right? He joins his forces with, uh, with, with Ching Rai and Burma. And they're still doomed. They, they just delay. They just delay things, right? He joins with the forces with Assyria. His kingdom is over. Right? He sits and trusts God. Eh, not sure about that one, right? So, so he says. So Isaiah says, "Be careful about the decisions you are about to make. Be very careful that you do not choose wrongly." Second thing: be quiet. Be quiet. Basically says, chill, don't panic, right? Don't panic. This is, okay. He says basically, don't worry. You know, now picture this. This is armies, thousands of people. They're about to destroy you. Isaiah's going, hey, don't worry. Yeah, sure. Have you ever, have you ever been in cases like this? And and this is probably a lot of real life. You know, we don't have armies come against us. But isn't it true that oftentimes we find ourselves faced with impossible situations? Where the alternatives before us, are n- none of them are things we would pick, right? None of them are things we would choose on our own or for ourselves. And, and we struggle and we feel discouraged and overwhelmed and we feel it's impossible. And uh, you may consult with your friends and your friends say, oh, don't worry about it. Right? Don't you just want to smack them, right? Uh, it's like, don't worry. Don't you understand the gravity of the situation here? Don't you understand what's at stake here? Uh, and his Isaiah's words sound kind of like that, but he says, "Keep calm, right? Uh, just chill. God's got this covered." Right? Uh, third word, he says, "Don't be afraid." Uh, it's kind of the same thing, you know. Just, just don't, don't be afraid. Don't, you don't have to worry about this, right? Stay calm. Don't fear. Fourth word, don't let your heart be faint or weak. In other words. Don't lose courage. Don't lose faith or hope. Hang in there. Um, well, is, you know, did Isaiah just really need to take some better counseling classes? Or, you know, in terms of human counseling, Isaiah is a terrible counselor. And he's giving words that for most of us would, would not be helpful. Unless there's more to it. And, of course, with Isaiah there is. Um He's going he's gonna to give the reason why you should chill. Be careful. Don't fear and have courage. And he goes on in the next verse and he says this. Thus says the Lord, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Right? He says, don't worry, because God is not going to let your enemies overcome you. So they're just smoldering firebrands. They're just a bunch of hot air. He says, within 65 years, both of these nations will no longer even exist. You don't need to worry, Ahaz, because God is protecting you. God is the one who will secure your city. God has promised their attack will not work. It will not come to pass. They will not win. And finally, at the end of verse 9, Isaiah says this, If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Right? Um, and ultimately, what, 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 what Isaiah is saying here, right the message is simply this: uh, Ahaz, you've got to trust God. I don't know what's going on in your life or what, what may be coming up in your life, but the reality is that oftentimes things come into our life that, like, like these circumstances, are way out of our control, right? They seem impossible. They seem like uh, there's nothing we can do to fix the problem or change the situation. And God's message to Ahaz, God's message to us is uh, stand firm in faith. Trust in God to take care and protect you. Um, Well, it's easier said than done, but but that was his call to, to, to Ahaz. And and those those four statements become hallmarks of what faith is. Here's the deal. If you are trusting God, you'll be very careful about how you choose things, right? You'll be very careful that you choose truly what is God's will, not just what you feel would be the best way out. You will be calm in the midst of those circumstances if you truly are trusting God. You will not fear and you will have amazing courage, right? Well, it's easy, easy to say that, and, and that, was, that was Isaiah's challenge to Ahaz, right? You can be calm and have peace in the midst of this impossible situation because God is going to take care of you. Um, and he says, he says, be firm in faith. Literally, the word there means to establish faith. He's saying, you need to build for yourself a foundation of faith that you can stand on. Um, how do you do that, right? How do you in your own life? How do you build a solid foundation of deep conviction that God is taking care of you? Well, let's probe a little further as as uh, as, as Isaiah unpacks what this faith needs to look like and how to build or establish it. Um, so we don't know exactly what happens if these were two different time periods or. This is kind of a continuation, but there's a break, and it says that again the Lord spoke to Isaiah. So we can picture that maybe Isaiah went home and gave Ahaz some time to think about this, to wrestle with it as he's wrestling with his options, as he's considering what he's going to do next. Uh, and and uh, Isaiah comes back, uh, and he makes, he makes this incredible offer to, to Ahaz. Uh, and it's an offer to help him build his faith. And I'm, I'm thinking if God would make me this offer, boy, I, I would take him up on it. This is what he says. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. Hey, imagine this offer. right? He says, he says Ahaz, I want, I, want you to, I want you to come up with some test to prove that God is going to take care of you. If God came to you and asked for that, what would you say, right? Just ask for a sign. He basically says, the sky is the limit. I'll do whatever your imagination can come up with. I'm thinking, like, like you know, could you give, like, the kings of Syria and, and um, Burma, <laughs> yeah, Burma and Chingrai. Rai. I can't remember what they're in the Bible. Those kingdoms, give them, like, the worst case of chicken pox ever, you know. I would love that. That would be great. Can you do that one, right? Or maybe just turn their whole army green like little Martians, right? i might got to think of some fun things to do here, right? Maybe maybe put their whole army in total darkness and, and Jerusalem in total light, right? I mean, you could have some fun with this, right? What would you say? What would you invent, right? Maybe in your own life, if God came to you today and made this offer to you and said, you know, Bill, you know, give me a sign that will help me build and grow your faith. What would you ask for, right? What, what 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 could God do to prove Himself to you that He's real? Because see, that's what faith is about. Faith is not grasping blindly for something that we have no knowledge of or reason to hope in. Right? God wants to demonstrate that yes, He is invisible and we do not see Him, but He is real, and He wants to re- reveal Himself to us right, through. Through his word and through the working of his hand. And that's what a sign is. It is a working of God's hand that reveals something of who he is. Well, what does Ahaz say? Does he say turn their army green? Does he say turn them all into midgets? You know, we could beat them. Uh, Turn all their swords into clubs of jello. I mean, be creative here, Ahaz, right? What does he say? I will not ask for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. Wow. Um, it sounds so spiritual. And indeed, in the, in, the, in the law, there was a command that said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? Um, and it sounds very spiritual. It sounds very pious. It sounds like he is holding on to a deeper faith. And there's a sense of which it would be a deeper faith if Ahaz had said, you know, my God, my, my faith in God is so sure and certain, there is no sign that could give me deeper faith. Right? But we know that's not the case with Ahaz. In fact, we know from uh, Chronicles that uh, Ahaz, in fact, uh, did already have a plan. He was in the process of forming an allegiance with Assyria. Right? He'd already made up his mind and he sent uh, treasures from the temple to the king of Assyria to form an alliance to come rescue him. Right. He did not say that because he was pious or because his faith was so strong. He said it because he didn't really care what God would do. He had already put his trust somewhere else. He had already put his trust in man-made human resources. And he is not interested in God's help. Um, most of us you know, here wouldn't make that kind of choice. Most of us uh, profess faith and trust in God. But this brings up a very important illustration that is da- a danger for us. And that is that we mix our trust and faith in God with faith in human resources. Right? Uh, he says you must establish your faith in God. If you don't, you will not stand. And for Isaiah, the message is very clear to Ahaz: you cannot trust God and and the king of Assyria. Right? If you trust in God, it must be fully and exclusively in God alone. Right? How often do we trust in God and right? Trusting God and my own wisdom, trusting God and my own creative solutions, trusting God and the you know. Uh, the resources of humanity. Now, Isaiah and God, God is not saying here that, that certainly God may use human resources to help us. Right? He's not saying here that Ahaz should go home and just sit in front of the TV and chill out and watch Mary Poppins. Right? Um, he's not saying he shouldn't take action to defend his city or assemble his army. But he's asking, where is your faith? What ultimately are you trusting in? Right? Are we ultimately trusting in God alone? Or are we often trusting in God, but we have a backup plan? Right? We have a backup plan that's very man-made. Because right? we're not fully convinced God is going to come through. So if God drops the ball, it's okay because we got it covered. That's in essence what Ahaz is saying to Isaiah here. He says, look, it's okay, I got it covered. Right? If God comes through, great, but if God doesn't come through, I have a backup plan. That is not faith. And that, that kind of faith uh, that is not exclusively in God alone, uh, Isaiah is about to say it, to tell him, look, because you did not stand in faith, because you were not firm in faith, you will not stand as a king, Ahaz, and neither will your kingdom. Um, one of the most critical things in building faith and establishing faith in our life is being attentive to God's revelation. Right? Uh, it's, it's remarkable. God and, and and Ahaz was a wicked king. We don't have time to go into his life. He was a wicked king. He was not a godly leader. Right? He got to this place because he was not trusting God. Uh, but but here's the thing. In the midst there's this wicked, godless king, and yet God sends Isaiah and gives him a very specific word from God Himself. Right? Okay. Uh, they didn't have email. Now, Isaiah was the email. Right. Down got downloads it into Isaiah. Isaiah delivers it. Right. It's, it's email, just in personal form. Right. God gives a direct message to Ahaz. Amazing. And then on top of that, he asks him, he says, I will give you a sign. I will do some act or deed. You know, I'll make it snow in July. I mean, we'll have Christmas in July. I'll do whatever you want just to demonstrate that I am for real and I have power to save and help you. But uh, Ahaz is is not interested in God's revelation to him. And his faith uh, shows that. Because his faith is zero. Right? If you want to establish and build your faith, we must be attentive to God's revelation to us. And praise God, we have we have, you know, we have the prophets, we have the law, we have the words of Christ. God has given us in His Word and Scripture a, a, a truckload of revelation. Are we attentive to it? Right? Uh, our faith will grow when we are serious about. Digging into the Word, uh, and of course, it means digging into it not as fables or legends or you know myths, but as God's revelation of Himself, right? That He is present in His Word. Uh, you know, when I speak, my words go out, but I do not go with them. And uh, uh, but that's not true with God. God's resident in His Word. So when you read read your Bible and you pick up Scripture. God is there if you will meet him there. Right? you got to be attentive. And God wants to do signs in our life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, uh, we should test God. You've got to be careful on this one. But God wants to work. And we'll see in a minute the sign that God, the greatest sign of all that God gave us, if we will pay attention to it. Well, well the results of, of, of his choice. And there, there are results, there are always consequences to our choices, Right? Well, for Ahaz, the consequences were pretty severe. And uh, we're not going to go into detail. But let me just read a couple scriptures uh, where Isaiah explains what's going to happen because he did not choose to trust God. And he said, Ahaz, your kingdom is over. Uh, And more significantly, Isaiah uses the language, he says, he calls Ahaz the house of David. Very unique for Isaiah to use this. Um, Ahaz was a descendant of David. Uh, he should have rested secure in the fact that God had promised there would always be an heir of the line of David on the throne. But now Isaiah is saying, because you did not trust God, your dynasty, your lineage is about to come to an end. This is what he said in chapter 8. Therefore the Lord will overwhelm Judah with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria in all his glory. So Assyria will come in like a flood and flood the whole land of Judah. This flood will overflow all its channels and sweep into Judah until it is chin-deep with Assyrians. It will spread its wings and submerge your land from one into the other. Huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, you distant lands. Prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Okay, um, Because Ahaz would not trust in God His end is coming. In chapter 8, verse 19 and 22, uh, Isaiah prophesies this. uh, Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult with the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And he's prophesying what will happen to Judah and Israel. They will go from place to place, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into darkness. Uh, Isaiah prophesies, and it comes true. The days of the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel are quickly coming to an end. And some 700 years before Jesus came, um, you know, the Assyrians came and they wiped out the land. And after the Assyrians, the, you know, the Babylonians came. And after the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians and eventually the Greeks and the Romans. Right? For 700 years, Israel did not exist as a nation except for a couple minor little blips on the map. Uh, And for 700 years, 600 years, uh, they did not have a king actively sitting on the throne of David. They were plunged into darkness. Um, It's true for Israel. It's true for every one of us. Have we on our own from day one trusted God? Or is it true that we at some point in our past, we really didn't believe God could take care of us and we trusted in ourselves, right? That's what it means to be lost. That's what it means to be uh, turning our back on God. And the result of that sin, that rebellion against God, is that all of us have been plunged into darkness. Uh, A terrible sight of despair, it says, and anguish uh, thrown into outer darkness, right? So for 700 years, that was the state and condition of Israel, uh, constantly battered by kings and powers, um, constantly longing for what, for the restoration of the throne of David. But then in chapter nine, uh, the, the, the prophecy turns and Isaiah says this: "But there there will be no gloom for who, for who, for her." who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt, that is, God brought contempt to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, God has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. Um, Isaiah prophesies that the darkness will not last forever. Though you were plunged in darkness because of sin, you will one day be plunged into joy. Uh, He uses the the picture of dancing at the harvest time, right? Uh, Of celebrating abundance, right? Of joy, a light will come, and a light will dawn. And then finally, um, Isaiah gives these words: "For unto us a child is born." From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, Jesus fulfills that prophecy, right? He is the child who was born to us. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, We have all been plunged into darkness. But He came to give us His kingdom of peace. Uh, he was born in that manger 2,000 years ago. Uh, the, the mighty God, right? the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, all divine titles, all titles that would not have made sense of any earthly human heir to the throne of David. Right? Fully, Fully man, fully a descendant of David, fully God. And he's come to give us um, joy and peace. And of course, uh, Isaiah doesn't explain here how he does that. He does later in chapter forty and fifty. He does it through through the cross. He comes to make peace with God through his life. Um, uh, And of course, the birth of Christ without his death has no meaning or purpose. Uh, Jesus came ultimately as a sacrifice for our sin. but, but the critical piece is this. Uh, we have to trust him, right? Uh, that promise of an eternal kingdom of peace was offered to Ahaz, but he trusted in the ways of man instead. Right? Uh, do we really trust fully in, in, in the in the abundant peace and grace of Christ? Well, here's the test. Today, are you being careful about the decisions you make? Are you uh, living a life of quiet, Of, of rest, of peace in God's care? Are you freaked out and in panic mode? Or do you have courage in your heart that things are going to be okay? As we celebrate Christmas, it should be a season of peace Uh, It's not just a song we sing. It's supposed to be a state of our heart. (laughs) It's supposed to be a condition that's true of His children, who are residents of the kingdom of peace. Uh, We are to be people who dance and shout for joy because of our great King who has come. Um, I hope you have that peace, right? If you don't, and you know it gets assailed often. Establish faith. Build faith. Be attentive to the revelation of what God's told you. Uh, Pay attention to His signs. And here's the greatest sign of all. Um, If you want to ask for a sign, as fun as it would be to see a whole army turn green, here's a better one. Uh, God of the universe, being born in human flesh, taking on a life like us, And living out as God among us what it means for a human being to be fully uh, empowered by the Spirit, uh, fully the Son of God, laying down His life for us. What a sign. Right? What a sign of God's great love and power. If He would give His Son for you and I, how much more will He do to give us life and peace and joy in Him?